If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to start uh, this new series called Hold Fast. Um, and I want to I want to encourage you with this, and there's a, there's a lot that goes on here. Go ahead and turn on the house lights. There's a lot that goes on here in 2 Peter, and if you remember anything, uh, if you've been here for the last year, we went through the book of 1 Peter last year, um, which was Peter's letter to these churches in northern Asia, basically, to tell them and say, listen, hey, there's persecution coming, and as a result of persecution, we want you, or I want you to be prepared for these things. So Peter lays this out with them to know that there is going to be external pressure from outside the church, right, upon believers within the church. An opportunity to deny Christ, an opportunity to turn away, and Peter says, hey, don't do that. Now he comes to this book, and he's about to die. We'll see that later in 2 Peter chapter 3, but he knows, or he believes that the Lord's revealed that he's going to be killed here for the faith very soon. And what we're going to see now is Peter, just as we saw in the video, Peter's last letter, basically his, his last statement to the believers of those churches that he's come into contact with. And so if you have your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 11. It says this, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge, everybody say knowledge, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. If you noticed in the video, one of the things you're going to see all throughout Second Peter is this word knowledge. Like Peter's saying, listen, you need to know it. You need to grow in knowledge. You need to understand. But he says it through this, right? Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So in other words, as I get to know Jesus more and more, then grace and peace are more in abundance in my life. You get that picture? You see what he's saying? As I come to know Jesus more, this intimate relationship with him, then grace and peace are in abundance in my life. So verse three, he says this, his divine power has been given, or sorry, has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort. Say, make every effort. All right, so we got knowledge first, and we got this idea. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, Love, for if you possess these qualities, listen, in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in the knowledge or in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. One of the things that we're talking about consistently over the next couple months is this idea of holding fast. The reason why we bring up this idea of holding fast is what Peter is beginning to deal with is that there are people within the church who have risen into leadership positions, teaching positions, things like that, 
who are calling, really, or casting doubt upon the fact that Jesus will ever come back, number one. And number two, they're casting doubt upon what they believe based upon their lifestyle. In other words, their life doesn't line up with what Scripture teaches or professes. And it's important for us to continue or to think about this because it is important for the church to align our lives up with what Scripture teaches. That as we grow to know Jesus, we grow in the knowledge of God, grace and peace is abundant, that our lives begin to line up with what Jesus has laid out. And so we're going to dig in today, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to talk about building a faith that lasts. Anybody ever seen a picture? I'm assuming you've all seen a picture of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, right? I want to give you some statistics or just a little bit about it. Did you know that that building began to be built in 1173 AD, and it was finished in 1399? Now, if you've ever had a house built, please tell me it didn't take you 226 years, right? I mean, like, I think about that. Like, don't get me wrong. It is a beautiful piece of architecture, but it took up 226 years to build it. And here's what's crazy about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Did you know that almost immediately after the first level or the first layer was built, that the, 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 the tilt began to go already? They already saw that it was going to be off kilter. It was going to be off center. It started leaning at the beginning of construction. Its original height was supposed to be 60 meters. Now, I want you to understand this. It says that now at the highest point, it's 56.67 meters and on the shortest side, it's 55.86 meters. So it's obviously out, but it's also 17 feet out of plumb at the top. Now, I don't know about you, but if my, my house was 17 feet out of plumb, I'm pretty sure it'd fall over, right? And, and recently, early, in the early 2000s, they, they did some work. They've said now, they, they thought, as a matter of fact, there was a statement at one point, they believed that the Leaning Tower of Pisa was going to fall in 2007. So they started doing some work, and now they say, based upon what they've done, they believe that it will fall around 2000 or 2300, right? So we've got a little while before it's going to fall. But as we look at that, I want you to think about this. There are so many things in our lives that have to be aligned, that have to be plumb, that have to be straight in order to be successful. And what we see in the Leaning Tower of Pisa is this idea that it began with a bad foundation. It began from the get-go because it wasn't built in a solid way. See, one of the things that we want to look at today is how do we grow? How do we build a faith that lasts, that remains plumb or remains true or holds fast to the truth of God's word while, listen, while we're surrounded by what's going on? Remember, First Peter was all about the exterior pressures that people were getting from the outside for people who weren't believers. But now we begin to see that Peter begins to write this letter so he can address the problems that were arising as a result of bad teaching or not holding fast to the truth of God's word. And when you don't hold fast to the truth of God's word, you're already set up for failure. See, we walked through 1 Peter, and we did that with that series called Living Hope, where Peter encourages his believers and now he's encouraging us even more with this internal pressure to say, listen, you got to grow and know, have the knowledge of who God is in order 
to be wise for what's going to happen. See, Peter, listen to what he says in verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus. I believe there's something always to look at when we see his statement here. He is a servant above everything else. So many people desire to have a position of leadership or a, a designation or a title right? And Peter comes in and he says, listen, uh, this is Simon, Peter. I wrote the previous book that I wrote you guys, right? Remember me? Hey, hi. Um, I'm a servant. I'm a bond servant. In other words, he's literally saying I am a slave of Jesus because as a result of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, I realize where I'm at. And then he labels himself an apostle, right? So here's the reality in every situation, whether it's a pastor, apostle, leader, shepherd, whatever it is, every one of us are to be a servant first. Peter lays that out from the get-go. And as a servant then, a servant always knows his standing first and foremost with God, but second of all with other people, that we are called to be servants for all people. See, Peter is a servant first and foremost, and we're called to be those servants, but Peter acknowledges that he receives. Listen to what he says now. He receives a faith through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, Peter is acknowledging the preciousness of this faith, that he received it by the righteousness of Jesus, not by anything he could do, which echoes what Paul says in Ephesians chapter two. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works so that anyone can boast. Right? That my, sorry, I got a new phone and all my notifications are off. (laughs) My iPad just beeped and I got it in silent. Sorry. Anyways, (laughs) drive me nuts. Um, So do you get what I'm saying when we talk about this? Like when Peter's laying this out, he's writing this letter and he wants the people to know, listen, the righteousness that you and I receive is not by the good deeds you do. It's not based upon your attendance at church. It's not based upon any of that. It is the righteousness that we receive from God and our Savior Jesus Christ and it is precious. It is most valuable thing. And I want to ask this question today just to get you to think about this. Do you experience or do you understand the value or the preciousness of what God has given you or what God offers you? The love, the grace, the hope, the peace, the forgiveness of sins. Do you understand all of those things? And do you let that just overwhelm you? Because God has given us a great and precious gift. And so here's what I'll ask today. Are you growing up? Or are you just growing old? Growth is a natural part of life, right? But there's a lot of people I have run into that we could sit back and go, man, these people are really immature. And it really depends on where you're at in life. But I want to venture, I will venture to say this. I have ran into people who have been in church for 60 and 70 years, and I look and I go, man, you've never grown up. You've just grown old. And what I mean by that is this, they haven't owned their faith. They haven't grown in the knowledge of Jesus. They haven't grown as Peter is talking about here. They didn't mature in a faith where they begin to bear more and more responsibility and more and more of the the characteristics that Peter lays out here. They just kind of stayed in that place. And I want to ask you this question, are you growing up or are you just growing old? Because in order to hold fast, we have to grow up. We have to mature 
We have to be people who are gonna move on to the next stage or the next level. And I wanna give you two principles real quick that I saw from a, a, a man or a pastor named Skip Heisling. He says this, there are two principles about spiritual growth. Number one, your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your age. Ouch. But it's 100% true. Your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your age. But number two, listen to this, you can grow as much as you wanna grow. And what I am convinced of is this. There are a lot of us who say we want to grow, but when it comes to putting our feet to the pavement and really putting our, 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 our lives in action, it's like, yeah, I want to grow, but that's just a lot of work. Right? Oh, I want to grow, but that's a little bit of sacrifice. I mean, I'm going to have to give up something else. Listen, your spiritual growth has nothing to do with your age, but you can grow as much as you want to grow. And here's what I'm convinced of, that we have a lot of people within church, and I'm not just going to say within our church, I'm talking about just church, the church in general, and maybe it's more an American idea, I don't know, that's where we live, that's what I understand, but we have a lot of people within the church who don't want to grow. We say we want to grow, we don't want to grow. And so here's my big thought, my big idea for today. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this. We must use what God gives us to grow in a faith that will last a lifetime. I have to use the tools and the opportunities and the blessings and the promises that God gives me in order to grow a faith that will last a lifetime, a faith that grows and matures in every season and every stage of life. So I believe there's four, requisite, or four prerequisites for building a faith that lasts. Four prerequisites for building a faith that lasts. Number one is this. We build upon a right foundation. This is what he says in verses three and four. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Who does life and godliness come from? You can cheat. You can just read what I just read. I gave you the answers. I'm just asking you a question. Who does life and godliness come from? It comes from God. His divine power. In other words, God's power is an eternal power. It is ongoing. It is forever. Matter of fact, I want you to think about this. His divine power was at work from the get-go, right, with creation. He speaks everything into existence, but yet his divine power comes in to a relationship with man by forming us and fashioning us. That's design. That is his divine power. His power supersedes everything else. He placed the stars in the heavens. He knows the number of hairs on your head. All of those things are his divine power, and he plays it out day in and day out. God is in control of all things, and all things report to him and through him, and there is nothing that gets by him that he doesn't know. Now, it's important for us to understand this, that God has also given Satan a time to sift this world. And so when I hear people say this, well, if God's in control, why do you allow this to happen? You can think that on sin and Satan. Because every one of those circumstances, situations, that is what is a result. So here's what God gives us in the area of growth because he gave everything we need for life and godliness. Listen to what he says. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So here's what we understand. 
in order to build on the right foundation, I have to understand or use the divine power that God gave so that I can grow in godliness and wisdom. That's what he lays out. It's his divine power for a great thing. See, the power of the eternal God who spoke it into existence is the same power he gives you so that you can grow and mature, so you don't have to stay the same. As a matter of fact, it's played out like this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone as new as come. He has given you through divine power the opportunity to experience a new life and to have new life through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of him And that's the divine power at work. So we see it at work in creation. We see it at work on the cross. We see it at work in the resurrection. We see it at work in the disciples and the apostles in the book of Acts. And what we see is Peter's laying this out. And he says, listen, it is his divine power that gives you the opportunity to grow in knowledge and godliness. That's a promise. That is a beauty. That is something that we wrap ourselves around and we begin to say, okay, God, let me know and grow in a greater way. Matter of fact, this is where Paul could sit back and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not because Paul could do it, because Paul had a proper understanding of the divine power that God had at work at that time and what was going on in the same divine power that's at work in your life right now. So there's a prerequisite for building a faith that lasts is building on a proper foundation. I build it upon the power that God gives because he gives me everything I need for life and godliness. Let me ask this question. Are you content with where God has you? And if you're not, I could just simply ask that question. Well, what are you gonna do about it? Because there is a mutual thing going on here, right? That God is at work And yet he's calling us to do something about it. He's calling us to grow in our salvation. And so if God is at work and God is doing it and God's all powerful and God's got this divine power, am I tapping into the power he gives? Right, I I, I love the, the, the power station. We went to Bass Pro the other night and you see all those, anybody been to Bass Pro recently? You see that, you know what I'm talking about? The Tesla plug-in stations? You know what I'm talking about. But that's not divine power, Right? I mean, but that's what gets that car the power where it needs to go. But I want you to think of it like this. In order to plug in the divine power, I have to plug into God first and foremost. In order to do what he says, in order to grow in the way I'm supposed to grow, in order to mature, I have to plug in to the divine power because it's his divine power that has given us everything, all things. When Paul says that, all things, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. So I plug into his divine power. Number two, I remember his precious promises. So there's the four prerequisites. We're building upon the right foundation, but I want you to see his divine power and his precious promises. Listen to verse four. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Here's what he's saying. He's given us the power to grow. And as he's given us the power, he has also given us these precious promises that we can participate in the divine nature. In other words, that we grow to become more and more Christ-like in every area of our lives. Because he says, to, the es- to escape or and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now, 
here's where the rubber meets the road. When I hear people say, well, man, you know, it's just so hard. I really like this. That's a sign of immaturity because you've chased after something that you don't need for life and godliness, but you rather use to fulfill a desire that's deep inside, and it's honestly an evil desire or a worldly desire, and what you end up seeing is like, oh, that's a sign of immaturity. When I allow words to fly out of my mouth that I know are unhealthy and immoral and honestly not godly at all, when I allow those words to be consistently on the tip of my tongue, I'm showing a sign of immaturity. And that immaturity is this, that I have rather settled for an evil desire rather than following what God has called me to do. And so I build my lives upon his divine power. I build my life upon his promises because that is the foundation upon which everything holds. We talked about this not too long ago, but if you keep in mind the promises of God and build your life upon the promises of God, you will be successful. When we build our life upon those, we take those promises to heart, trusting in God, and as a result, we participate in that divine nature. Our God has the power and the promises. And you can, listen, you can always tell a mature person in how they treat God's promises. A mature person is, is, is one who acknowledges God's promises and is confident in them, believes them, and trusts them regardless of the situation. But listen, a fearful Christian hasn't applied the power or the promises to the circumstances and situations they're in. In other words, when I hear somebody say, man, I'm just, I don't know, I'm really afraid. Do you believe God? Do you trust God? Do you believe he's all-powerful? Do you trust his promises? And listen, I'm going to speak to the, I'm speaking to myself just as much, right? But when we hear the promises of God, do I build my life upon them? Do I hold them? Are they the thing that I hold steadfast to? Are they the thing that I tie myself to? Or do I wander into the evil desires and worldly ideas that go on outside? So the first prerequisite for building a faith that lasts is to build upon a solid or right foundation. The second thing is I have to build with the right materials, right? Like if I'm building a house, matter of fact, when we remodeled out here, we went and got new wood. We reused some of the older stuff, but we had to get new wood. The old wood held all the nails, some of it was bowed. It was, you know, it was just chewed up and weird. But I want you to think about it this way. If I build with the wrong materials, let's just say I decided to go to the junkyard and I got all this rotted wood and I'm going to build my house. What do you think is going to happen to that house? Yeah, it's going to fall. Because I didn't build with the right materials. I mean, heck, all we got to do is read the story of the three little pigs and we know that the right materials make all the difference in the world, right? Who wants to build a house out of straw when I can build a house out of brick or out of stone? And so he's, what, he's, what he says now is, in order to be successful or to build a faith that lasts, then I have to build with the right materials in my life. In other words, I got to put the right things in and not use other things. And when I build with the right materials, then my foundation is secure. Since my foundation is secure and I build with the right materials, then everything else is going to hold steady instead of being out of plumb. I'm not going to be able to hold fast when I build with the wrong materials. See, growth takes cooperation. And I want you to think about it this way. I cooperate with where God is operating. 
Growth takes cooperation with where God is operating in your life. Growth takes cooperation with where God is operating in life in general. And so he lays this out, starting in verse five. He says, for this very reason, make every effort. I had you say that. We talked about knowledge, and we said make every effort. It carries this idea of being intensely exerting pressure into the situation. That as I'm going into this, that I'm going to intensely exert energy and effort into growing in my relationship with Jesus, into growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And my question then now today is this, do you exert energy and effort into growth? Or do you think that Sunday morning is the day you're going to grow and then everything else will be okay? Because if you only exert energy by coming and sitting and listening to me, I'm sorry. Because all you're doing is listening to a big blowhard. Okay, not really, but I want you to see what happens. When I invest energy into growth in my relationship and I make that a priority, then I begin to experience the things that God has for me. That's why he says, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Keep in mind, this faith that Paul or that Peter is talking about is a faith that is given, right? That God gives us this, that we have the opportunity, that God gives us the opportunity. He presents it. He's showing us the opportunity for salvation. So he's saying, you have placed your faith in me. It was given. You have it. Now add to your faith. What is my faith in? My faith is in Jesus, the shed blood, the sacrifice of him on the cross. My faith is in the fact that he died, and my faith is in the fact that he rose again, and it says he ascended, and that one day he will come back. That is what my faith is built upon. But as I build my faith, or as I grow in my faith, then I add these things to it. To faith, you add goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. All of these things, I believe, build on top of each other. You are in no way, shape, or form going to carry on the full love of Jesus to a lost world when you are a brand new believer. You're not going to understand all of it. You can still communicate it. But as we grow, we begin to understand more and more and more and more how great, how wide, how high, how deep is the love that God has for us. And so here's what he says. To add to your faith, goodness. Goodness is this idea of what we'll call moral excellence. Actually, I want to classify it as biblical obedience, Add to your faith biblical obedience. Day in and day out, am I adding to my faith biblical obedience in every area of my life? Not some, not parts, not the parts that you agree with the Bible on, but then the parts that you don't, you're like, nah, right? He's saying if you want to grow and mature, you add to your faith a biblical obedience, a moral excellence. Then he says to knowledge. This idea of growing in an authentic knowledge. It's a a knowledge of who he is, and it's experiential knowledge. That day in and day out, I am experiencing a a, a love relationship with Jesus, my Savior. And if you sit back and you go, I don't know what you're talking about, experiencing a love relationship. Let me just say this in a point-blank way. That's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign to need to grow. Because you add to your faith goodness and then knowledge. 
an authentic knowledge of who Jesus is. And then he says, as a result of my knowledge, as I'm growing and growing more and more, and I know and I learn more about Jesus, I add self-control. Wow, self-control. Wait a second. Remember earlier what he said about how people who escape the corruptions in the world caused by evil desires? Self-control says, I have learned to control the evil desires within me because I am obedient to what God has called me to do. So remember, we're going right back. Self-control is built upon the fact that I understand the goodness or the, the biblical obedience that God has called me to. So I am self-controlled. And as a result of self-control, it's perseverance. And perseverance, according to James, is one of those things that it's an exceeding thing that, that, that comes up, that we have to become people who persevere in order to mature so that we can stand the tests and the trials that are given to us. And then after perseverance, godliness, Christ-likeness, Christ-centeredness, right with God and right with other people, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as your Self. Then he talks about brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness is, is the phileo love, right? It's the, 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 the love that's between a brother and a sister in a faith or a brother and a brother in a faith, people who are together. We love each other within the church. Now, here's an example of what I bring up. I told you I've grown up in conflicted church when I grew up. I saw fights. I saw threats. I saw all kinds of things. I've seen backbiting. I've seen people talk about people. I've, I've seen it all. I've seen people try and ouster people. I've seen, I mean, it's, it, it is what it is. But I want you to see what ends up happening here, right? A sign of maturity is brotherly kindness. And I'll even say that from the extent I've seen pastors who are authoritarian dictators who honestly probably should be out of the pulpit. Because brotherly kindness is played out in a way that we give each other the benefit of the doubt. We sit down and we have conversations. We work through things together because we're unified around the gospel. And listen, from brotherly kindness to love, all of these build upon each other. It's like adding more and more. It goes from the framework to insulation and the exterior boards put up to the to the siding and the roof and everything going on. All of these things build upon each other so that your Faith is strong, it is secure, it can withstand the storms and the tests of time. So we said four prerequisites for building a faith. Number one, build upon a right foundation. Number two, build with the right materials. Number three, build with growth in mind. Build with growth in mind. Look at verse eight. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Like, I like to highlight, I like to underline, but I put this right here. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, and I circled those. In other words, those qualities and characteristics that God is raising up and teaching me as I grow in my relationship with God should continue to build upon each other. They are increasingly growing day in and day out. There is never a point in time as a believer that you should get to a point and go, oh, I'm done. If you're done, you should be dead. And at that point, you're not going to have the opportunity to go, I'm done, because you're dead. Right? Like, 
I am continually and constantly growing in my relationship with Jesus and in my relationship with other believers and in my relationship with people within the church and in my relationship with those who are outside the church that as maturity continues to grow and grow and grow in an increasing measure, listen to what he says, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. If you are ineffective right now as a believer, I wanna ask you that question right there, why? Because what scripture's telling me is that those things that he's called you to do are not growing in increasing measure. If you are ineffective and unproductive in your faith walk, in your life as a result, if you would sit back and say, man, I'm not experiencing everything that God wants for me, it's because you're ineffective and unproductive because those things aren't taking place and growing in an increasing measure day in and day out. So if I want to be effective in the kingdom, if I want to be effective in life, these are the things I focus on, that I grow in my faith, in my goodness, in my knowledge, in my self-control, in perseverance, in godliness, in brotherly kindness, and in love. That's what Peter's laying out. In order to hold fast, all of these things must be growing in an increasing measure. Here's one of the things I oftentimes think about. You never stop building. When I keep building, I will not become ineffective or unproductive, right? If you've ever built anything, you know that in reality, when you're building a house and things like that, like there's usually a stopping point. Like I remember going and looking at houses when we first moved here and it was like, oh, this house has had four additions. And you're like, what? And you could tell it. Like it was like, oh man, this is really weird. That was pieces parsed here. And that was, oh, okay, whatever, you know? right? But this idea is this, that when we build and we build right, we never stop building. You're building your faith. You're building a faith that will last, and it's just piece by piece, bit by bit. It's the long haul. It's the marathon run. And that's how I hold fast. That's how I remain steady. That's how I stand firm in what God has called me to do. But listen what he says. For if you possess these qualities in increased measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So there's that knowledge word again. But then he says this in verse nine. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his sins. So let me make this statement real quick. If you're a believer, according to this text, and you do not have these qualities and characteristics, you don't have the goodness, you don't have the knowledge, you're not self-controlled, you don't have the perseverance, you're not representing godliness or Christ-likeness, you don't have brotherly kindness, and you honestly don't have love. If those things are taking place, you are identified right here as nearsighted and blind. Now, I like to use it this way. The Bible says your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We can see ahead. Nearsighted or blind would be this. There's the light, but I don't see squat. Right? I kind of like to say it this way. I probably should have told my wife I do this. But my wife, when her glasses are off, she can't see squat. I think that's why when I proposed to her, her glasses were off. I don't know. <laughs> Not really. But um, when she rolls over in bed at night sometimes, she'll grab her phone and she's like this. And I'm like, you need it any closer? She goes, I can't see it. <laughs> and I'm like, the light is lit up on the phone, right? But she still can't see it. And what I say is this, that there are things that we see in this text that says, 
if anyone does not have these things, you are nearsighted and blind and have forgotten that you have been cleansed from the past. And so here's where we begin to understand where Paul says, listen, you got to work out your salvation. Philippians chapter two says this, that I continue to work out your salvation for fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So when I look at this, I begin to say, man, I got to remember the joy of my salvation. I got to remember where I was as an old person and where God wants me to be as the new person. That's how we build a, a, a faith that lasts a lifetime. See, a blind person is focused on his or her present desires. Matter of fact, it's what we saw earlier in the world caused by evil desires, verse four. They're blind to how the gospel of God's forgiveness affects our life, and instead they are so engrossed in earthly pursuits. That's where we can get to things like this. Yeah, I put my faith and trust in Jesus. Yeah, I kind of follow God's word on some things. I'm not really growing that much. I don't really seek out the knowledge. I'm self-control. Eh, it depends. If it's Friday or Saturday, might as well just count self-control out because I got fixes I need to fix. I got things I need to do. I got people I got to impress. And what he says is, listen, that's what happens when you're nearsighted and blind. You made that commitment, but you've never made that step to grow. And you've forgotten everything that Jesus has done for you. See, a nearsighted or blind person can't see the big picture. They can only understand or see like what's right in front of them. And here's what's crazy. I can see maybe what's right in front of me, but when the Bible says your word is a lamp to my feet, I can't see that. And the reason I can't see it is because you're nearsighted and blind. You're not looking to God's word for truth. You're looking at everything else and you're stuck right there at what feels good or what pleases me from the inside. And here's number four. The four prerequisites. We said you have to build upon the right foundation. You build with the right materials. You build with growth in mind. And then number four, you inspect what you're building. I inspect what I'm building. Look at verse 10. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. If you were to look and go and build like in the city of Independence or Blue Springs or anything else like that, they have a code book. They have all these codes that you got to follow when you build. Matter of fact, every builder will tell you they hate them. I mean, they're there for safety and things like that, but at the same time, they got to have a person come out and inspect all their work. And if the inspection doesn't meet the codes, then they got to redo things and it becomes this kind of crazy thing. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe they pay some people off. Who knows? But God's got a code book right here. And here's what's crazy I don't need to inspect your life, you inspect your life based upon this code book. You, it's your responsibility to look at God's code book and go, man, I'm out of line. Now, there are others who could say, hey, dude, right? Like if you've given somebody the freedom and you say, hey, come in and inspect my life. It's called accountability. And when that brother calls you out because you asked him for accountability and you don't like it, well, that's tough. 
because you just opened the door and said, hey, I want you to inspect my life, and I want you to call me out. You just got to get over it, because that's called growth. That's called maturity, that as I open the doors to brothers, remember, growth is cooperation with God, number one, and then within the body, number two. And when I open that door for accountability, then I open the door to responsibility, because that's exactly what takes place. God gives us his code book by which we build and which we are to live. See, God's salvation, listen, is both effective and elective through the power and his promises. Now, I believe that there's a lot of things that go on that people want to argue. So if you were to ask me, are you a Calvinist? I would tell you, no, never. But I'll also be the first person to say, God's word talks about election. He talks about predestination. And I sit back and I go, man, there's a lot of things I just can't tell you. Some people would say that God has elected some that are just going to go to hell no matter what. I disagree. I believe that God has given the opportunity for everyone to be saved. That's why Peter says it is the opportunity that God is slow or patient, not wanting any to perish, right? Not wanting any to perish, but for everybody to come to faith. But Romans is very clear that people will suppress the truth because of the wickedness that's in their heart. So I believe that, yes, there are predestination and election terms out there that I believe God knows wholeheartedly who's going to go. But I also believe that when God is at work, that I have the opportunity or the ability as a result of listening and following the truth, that God, his work and the faith that I place in him overwhelmingly changes my heart to say, I don't want to follow wickedness and I'm placing my faith and trust in Jesus. So when I say this idea that God's work is both elective and effective, I believe that most people will use this verse as a support for a Calvinist or Reformed theology. And what I wanna say is this, elective. God is creating faith. God creates faith. God gives us what we need for a good life, for a godly life, freeing us from sin. That is a work of God. God gives us that opportunity, right? But it's effective because when the gospel is preached, we respond by faith. And that faith and all these things are applied to our life. So when I acknowledge that Jesus died on the cross, it is by faith, because it's by faith you have been saved, or by grace you have been saved, through faith, not by works. So there's a balance there. And I know some of you are probably like, what the heck are you talking about? If you're not in those circles, that's fine. It's no big deal. This is what I call a secondary thing, and a lot of people want to make it primary. I believe that Jesus died for everybody. Some are going to reject because they believe that the world offers greater things than God could ever offer. And keep in mind what he says here, right? He says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. See, I believe Peter is describing or is emphasizing what God has done and what man needs to do. So Peter is focusing on Jesus, and he's also focusing on what we need to do. Peter is describing active involvement of the Christian in confirming his or her salvation. So we are assured of our salvation as we, listen, progressively grow, increasingly grow in our Christ-likeness and influence of his character to the culture around us. 
So I grow in my Christ-likeness, and I grow in my influence of godly character to the culture around us, and I build, and I grow in my spiritual maturity, and I build with the right materials in the right way. That is how we grow and build a faith that lasts a lifetime, that I open the book, that I begin to look, and I inspect all of these things, because listen to what he says. He says, for if you do these things, you will never fall. What are those things? Go back to verses Five and seven, five through seven. When you continue to build your faith, focusing on those characteristics that he's calling out, when I do that, I will not fall. Not as a result of your works, but as a result of your obedience to God, because God says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness. It's all Him. So it is all the work of God in a great way for us to understand. Peter wants every believer, and I want you and I and all of us to be steadfast, to hold fast to our salvation so as not to cater to bad teaching that's taking place within churches around the world. And that's exactly what Peter says here to these people. Hold fast to the foundation upon which everything is built. And that foundation starts with the, prom- the, the power of God and the promises of God. And we build upon it because we grow in the knowledge of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your grace, and for the joy set before you where your Son endured the cross defeating sin, defeating death, and offering us life and life more abundantly. And today, as we go into communion, as we celebrate this time together, may we look internally and just say, God, if there is any sin within me, that I confess that sin, that I turn it over to you, that if I have a problem with another believer, that I go to them and I ask their forgiveness and I pray that we take this very seriously that we understand the goodness of what we celebrate, that we remember the shed and broken, or the the broken uh, body of Jesus on the cross and the shed blood. That when we do this, we remember you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.